<laughs> all right, it is really wonderful to see you all here today. Oh, man, I'll, I'll tell you, I really love having a chance to, to see uh, old friends and, and also meet new friends. Uh, old friends over here, I'm going to pick on them for a little bit. I got a couple people that I actually went to school with at uh, when I went to college at UW-Madison, Josh and Megan. Josh was actually my roommate junior year, so he's an awesome guy, and we, I get to pick on him now a little bit. Man. Yeah, don't don't ask him for stories about me because he doesn't know any. Just because he went to college with me doesn't mean he knows any stories whatsoever. Now, man, it is really great to see you all here today. We're working our way through the book of Romans. One of all of the books in, of the Bible are great, but Romans is one of my favorites, and one and it's a popular one to pick as a favorite. We have been working our way through for. I think about nine weeks. I think we're on our tenth week here uh, in the book of Romans. We're going through the second half. So if you have your Bibles, you can feel free to open up to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're also going to be having the verses on the screen. But before we start, let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through these words, that they are reliable they come from the, the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadows. You are the speaker of truth. You do not tell lies. And so when you tell us something is true, we can know that it is so. And we ask that you would help us to understand something new, something fresh, something exciting that increases our, our love for and our passion about who you are and who we are in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, today's message I've entitled Power to Live. Power to Live, because we have been working our way through the book of Romans, and actually, if you have read through Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, interestingly enough, um, the words power to live actually don't show up in this passage, so that's kind of interesting. But it is nevertheless actually the driving point that the whole passage is working its way towards. And in fact, the whole book of Romans is centered around this single theme. Every bit of Romans we sometimes forget. It's even especially when, not even, especially when we're working our way through a long series about the book of Romans, we can forget that Paul did not present it as a series of sermons to be made, but a single letter to be taken to a church and read Wholesale, it is all revolving around a single point, which Paul makes nice and clear for us back in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it's God's power to save all, to save every believer. First, the Jew, and also the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is God's power to save every believer. And it says the righteous will live by faith. It gives us power to live, not just in the hereafter, not just in the when we someday go to heaven, not just after the resurrection. The gospel gives you and me power to live 
fully live right here and right now. That's what the whole of the book of Romans is going through. This seems like a confusing little graphic, but it's meant to show how Romans goes through a progression where you can see the orange spots are Q&As. Paul has actually split Romans into six separate different mini-messages where he talks about the God's gospel, his power to save. First, our need for it, then how we receive it, then two sections on how we benefit from God's power to save, then how God's power to save Israel, and finally how we can display God's power to save in our lives. And after each of these little sections, he goes through a period of time where he has uh, an objector come in and ask a question, say, Paul, I followed you up to this point, but now I'm getting confused in this way. And Paul brings them back on track before moving forward. And we are right now in this fifth section. And we are talking about God's love, which moves from the greater to the lesser. Those you see the symbol, the arrow moving from left to right on top of the uh, little greater than sign. Those of you who know math, you would normally in math equations put a one here on the left and a zero on the right and say one is greater than zero. Everyone remember that from whatever grade math that is? Everyone remember? Sometimes we can say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that I'm going to heaven. But how can God love me here and now, when I'm going through a financial difficulty, when I'm facing strain in a relationship, when I am going through whatever pain or, or sickness or frailty I am facing right now, and we say, how can I trust God here? This is an immediate need. And we forget just how much God did to show us love when He died for us, when He became human and died for us and defeated death for us and made us alive so we get to be with Him forever. Do you know how much love that took? Do you know how much love it took for Him to show us that love? And if we believe that, how can we not also then say that we believe God for the much lesser amount of love He needs to show to us here in this life? We can trust Him now if we trust Him for our forever. And it's because of what God has done for us. We're going to be working our way through... Well, I'm jumping all around on these screens. Sorry about that. We're going to work our way through Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And I'll be honest, this is one that has a whole bunch of 50-cent words that where Paul is kind of jumping around from idea to idea. He's talking about sin and death and life and a gift and transgression and justification, condemnation. There's a whole lot of big words in there. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through little sections, take it bite size, and reveal the undercurrent of the story that Paul is telling us about. So first of all, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Who is that one man? Adam. Sorry. And death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. This kind of starts us off on a low point, doesn't it? There are a couple phrase, uh, words that are really 
highlighted by Paul that he is emphasizing enough. I tried to make it a little bit easier for us to see, you know, by coloring it, bolding it, and putting it in all caps. Can anyone tell me what one of those words are? Shout out nice and loud. Sin. Can anyone tell me what the other word is? Well, that wasn't really nice and loud, but at least I heard it. Sin and death. We all know that this is a problem, right? Sin is when we break the commandments, when, when we fail to reach up to the standard that we might be striving for. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, All have sinned. You might actually, in some of your Bibles, read, Because all sinned. It's actually the same phrase as we find in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 where we hear, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Sin entered the world through Adam's one act. And because of his sin, death entered the world as well. So that in the end, every one of us have become subject to the power of sin and death. And we say, well, of course that's the case, because everyone dies. We all kind of know that now. We struggle with that. We don't like it. We, we weep at the brokenness of the world. And we recognize that every, no one is perfect. Everyone can say that, even the people who generally think they're good enough to get into heaven say no one's perfect. But sin has entered the world and brokenness. And what's interesting here is the fact that sin and death are treated as people. They're not just concepts. They're not just forces. They're personified or personified. Sin is acting as something that has entered the world, and so has death. Death entered the world through sin. Death spread to all people, and death reigned over the world. Sin and death are treated as active Forces that are working against you and me. Sin is the brokenness that the treated as a force, as an active agent that is working to move us away from God, pushing us from Him. And sin is also in here, interestingly, not just treated as a person, it's also the actions that we do. All have sinned. When I sin, what I am doing is I am submitting myself to the authority of sin, which is trying to push me away from God. And the result of my sinning, my subjecting myself to that authority, is separation from God, is death. So let's pull that back together. Let's pull out what is Paul saying in these three verses. What he's saying is that sin and death rules over the world, even before the law and we were all under its power. That's the sad part, the bad news. But we move forward from there. Picking up in verse 15, we see, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which come through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflown to the many And the gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Sometimes, I don't know if you have heard this or thought this to yourself, but I've heard people sometimes say, it's not fair. 
that because of Adam eating a piece of fruit, which doesn't even seem that bad, sin and death entered the world and everything got messed up, right? That just doesn't seem fair. But first of all, God says, guess what? If you were in that situation, if you were in the position, you would have fared no better. In fact, all of human history will one day reveal that no matter what situation we're in, most people actually end up turning away from God. He'll say, well, what if people had lived for a thousand years and they had a chance to become wise and get better? Well, before the flood, everyone actually got worse. What if we gave people nations by which to govern each other? Um, didn't work. What if God brought the law in and said, this is what you need to do? How did Israel turn out? What if God himself came down and revealed who he was and said, I'm here. This is the truth about how I am. Israel crucified him. What if God places his spirit into man and, and tells people, you have a chance for a close relationship with me. There are many of us believers who trust in Jesus, but the church overall, many who claim to be part of the church, are not actually following as close to God as we could hope. And over time, eventually the Bible tells us one day Jesus Christ will come back and rule over the world in person. He will be the king who will say, everyone has to do what I say. Everyone's going to live for about a thousand years. I'm going to renew the earth. It's going to be beautiful. All the, those who have believed in the past will be resurrected and they can share their abundant knowledge of how to live rightly with God. And guess what? At the end of that, there's going to be a rebellion with a lot, with a lot of people. We actually cannot have any excuse before God because we all turn away. That was way too much time spent on that. But first issue is we all have turned away from God. But secondly, there's a beautiful truth that is revealed because of the fact that sin entered the world through one man. Because of one thing, which is not even that bad, judgment came into the world. God says, by the same principle, I bring life into a world of death. I bring a chance through my one act of obedience, not feeding the 5,000, not walking on water, not healing someone who is sick, but by his death and his resurrection, by that one act of obedience, Jesus Christ brings the offer of life into the world. By the same principle that Adam brought death in the world, Jesus brings life. And I don't know about you, but a life that can withstand many attempts to kill it, is stronger than death. Yes, a bullet is strong because a bullet can kill me. But what if I'm a person who can be shot 15 times and still live? That would be even stronger than those bullets, right? That's the same principle. So let's pull back to the story. Yes, sin and death ruled over the world even before the law, and we were under its power, but... Though sin and death came through Adam's disobedience, a greater gift came through Jesus' obedience. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Something... Oh, I'm, do you see what, is, what he did to compare this? Because of Adam... 
What had reigned over the world before? Someone shout it out. Death reigned because of Adam. Death reigned over the world and over us. But because of Jesus, we don't see that life is going to reign. What does Paul promise? Because of Jesus, who is going to reign? In this verse, Jesus, but it says, those who receive the grace and the gift will reign through Jesus. Did you know that you and I are called to reign over the world? That's what we were made for from the beginning. When God first created man, He said, let's make them in our image. And then you have authority over the earth. You rule over it. You you be a steward over it. You care for it. Guard it. Protect it. Build it up. Help it to grow. You rule alongside me. One day, it's not just that life is going to reign instead of death. It's you and I will reign because of our connection with Jesus. We are called to so much more than we think. It's not just sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. So some of you might like that. We are called to reign over the world, to rule it and care for it and help it grow. And so we come back to our story that sin and death ruled over the world even before the law. And we were under its power. Though sin and death, but though sin and death came through Adam's disobedience, a greater gift came through Jesus' obedience so that Jesus allows us to rule in life, not to be ruled by sin and death. Verse 18. So then, as through one trespass, Adam eating the fruit, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, let's be clear here. Some people have taken this and led to a universal universalism idea, saying that because of Jesus, because He is love, He is not going to send anyone to an eternity apart from Him. The Bible very clearly teaches that life is made, is offered freely to everyone. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins so that none of our sins stand between us and God anymore. The reason that we are not going, that those of us who do not spend for our forevers with Jesus, it's not because of our sin, it's because of we have not trusted in and accepted the free gift of Jesus. That is what He calls us to do. But, that does not mean that Jesus didn't write out a check that was big enough for everyone in the world. It, it, it just barely was enough to cover over those who are actually being saved. His check is big enough for everyone. And it's up to us to take hold of it by trusting in His promise. So we see that sin and death ruled over the world even before the law. And we were under its power, but though sin and death came through Adam's disobedience, a greater gift came through Jesus' obedience. So that Jesus allows us to rule in life, not be ruled by sin and death, Once because of Adam, we were sinners, but now because of Jesus, we are 
righteous. We are not condemned. We are justified. We are not declared sinners, awful people who just happen to be going to heaven. We are righteous. It is who we are right now. That is who you are if you have trusted in Jesus. Last verses. Romans 5, 20-21. And this is where we come to the point that Paul has been working his way toward the whole time. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is so important. This is how we reign. Because all of the Israelites loved the law of Moses. They built their whole nation on it. They said, based on following the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees all said, follow the law and you will be good enough for God. And Jesus Christ said, no, that's not how it works. The law reveals your sin. It reveals your brokenness. And in fact, it multiplies it. Because when my sinful nature sees God's standard and says, don't touch that park bench because it's wet paint, I want to touch it even more. The law increases our desire to sin. And as we're going to see in chapters 7 in particular, 6 and 7 and more, but especially chapter 7, we're going to see that the law actually increases the power of sin and death in our lives. But we have a different answer, a better answer than just saying, do this so God will love you more. And that answer is grace. That answer is Jesus Christ did the obedience. He paid for everything so that we are people who can say boldly and proudly, Not proudly because of our actions, but proudly because of Jesus' actions. I am a child of God. I am righteous. I am alive to God. I am someone who God intends to reign. Do I feel like someone who is ready to reign? Someone who's ready to rule over the world alongside Jesus? No. Absolutely not. Man, how many times have I messed things up? Oh my goodness, Josh. How many times have I messed up in college? Oh, don't add to that, please. Tamara, kids, church, how many times have I messed up with you guys? How many times have I opened my mouth and inserted my foot in exactly the wrong way? I have messed up so many times and I personally don't feel like someone who is ready to rule, but I can say with confidence because of Jesus It is who I am. And I can begin to live out of who Jesus Christ has made me to be. So let's finish that story. And you can see again how we wrap back to the idea of the law, which he introduced at the beginning of the section. Sin and death ruled over the world, even before the law. And we were under its power. But though sin and death came through Adam's disobedience, a greater gift came, not through Moses, Not at Sinai. It came through Jesus' obedience. So Jesus allows us to rule in life, not be ruled by sin and death. Once because of Adam, we were sinners. But now because of Jesus, 
not because of Moses, because of Jesus, we are righteous. So while the law increases and reveals sin's power, grace rules in righteousness and brings life. This is how we find the power. There are two ideas warring with each other. Two principles at war with each other, trying to claim dominance in the world and in your hearts. One says is a law, is a rule of sin and death, saying that because of one man's disobedient act, sin entered the world, bringing condemnation to many, allowing death to rule the world. That tells us there is no hope. That's, that's the idea that says you are an awful person unless maybe you turn yourself around and you make yourself better, you fight against the sin, you discipline yourself, you, you grit your teeth, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and maybe God will say, I love you. And then there's a truth that tells us because of one man's righteous act, the gift entered the world bringing justification, the declaring of rightness between God and us, bringing justification to many, allowing us to rule with Christ in life. This is what He has called us to. This is our anthem. This is what we declare. The truth of Jesus' act that brings the gift that calls you and me who have believed in Him to say, this is who I am, and when I obey, I do it out of who I am and not in order to become a better Christian. Can I hear an amen? I'm sorry, let me repeat that one more time. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's live out of who we are. I'm going to skip over these because I want to show something that tells us about how it is that we can live out of our identity in Christ. Watch this video with me. We might have actually, as I played that, I realized we might have played that video before, but you know what? I'm definitely not apologizing because I have found that most of us actually don't need to be taught the truth. Most of us need to be reminded of it again and again until it sinks in. We need to know who we are and who you are is not your sin. Who you are is not your struggle. Who you are is not your pain. Who you are is not your loss. Who you are is not anything the world tries to tell you you are. Who you are, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for that free gift of everlasting life, is you are holy, righteous, His child. One who God says, I am pleased with you because when I look at you, I see everything Christ has ever done. Live like that. Not live trying to be like that. Live like that is true about you. And you will find a freedom that you will never have known before. Don't try to overcome sin in order to know who you are. Its end is weakness, failure, insecurity, and giving up. And it will always be. 
as you grow, rather, to know who you are by God's grace because of His promise, you will begin to experience freedom in the life of Christ. And that is what we're going to be getting into as we begin our journey into verse chapters 6 and 7 and beyond. So, as we have done a number of Sundays before, let's once again read through our theme, Paul's theme verse of Romans, and remember as we are doing so, the identity that we have, not in the old man, not in Adam, but in Jesus Christ. Let's say together Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's God's power to save every believer first the Jew and also the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that when we say who we are, we don't have to think about our work We don't have to think about our relationships. We don't have to think about our achievements or our failures. When we think of who we are, we get to look to you. We get to look to the obedience of Jesus Christ and say, that is who God has declared me to be identified with. And we are righteous because of that. Jesus, help us to just a little bit more grasp what your grace means for our life in the here and now so that we too can have power to live an abundant life. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. Now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.